You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We just got some stats from the Canadian Real Estate Association, so we're going to talk about today the madness that is the Toronto real estate market and Canada as a whole this winter. We're going to talk about some of those stats, but I also want to get into this conversation of the vacant home tax, which is all but certain at this point in Toronto for 2021. We have polls from Treb outlining what investors intend to do with their investment properties given this new tax. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And of course, we have housing prices far outpacing jobs here in Ontario. I want to discuss what some of those numbers look like. And does this mean at some point the sky will begin falling as it relates to the Toronto real estate market? Now, I don't know if you guys, as we kind of get going on today's episode, I don't know if you've heard about Texas, speaking of skies falling, but they got a whopping three to five inches of snow. (laughs) And I saw an article in Global News that says Texas mayor quits after saying only the strong will survive. So (laughs) all bets are off down in Texas. And obviously homes are getting destroyed, which to me just tells us that I think we just build them better up here. (laughs) You know, sometimes I think I have a superiority complex, but then I realize I'm I'm better than that. If you guys could, as we start off on our topic today, as I like to ask all the time, please give us a thumbs up, subscribe if you're not following our channel. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating review and download the last five episodes. And if you want to take our relationship to the next level, jump on our investor list. That's down in the comments or actually the the notes down below. You can find that. So as we start to get into some of these topics, I want to begin with the madness that is the Toronto real estate market. Starting with the Globe and Mail article today, Toronto real estate is a back is back to full on madness. Here's what the article reads: Even during the frothy days of 2016, buyers typically only entered competition for the most desirable homes, which is true. I remember that was the case. "Quote: They were bidding on properties that were worthy of insanity. Now it's right across all areas in all sizes. We're back to full on madness." And this article, I'm not going to get into all of it, but talk about all these scenarios where people are bidding up crappy homes. <laughs> Some of the purchasers appear to be first-time homebuyers that want to get into the market at any cost. Others are homeowners from Toronto who are flush with cash from selling a property in the city. They make a good point, right? You sell a Willowdale home, 1.6 million bucks, and yeah, who cares? You offer eight, 900,000, no big deal. You still got 700,000 left. And I feel bad for the guys that have been trying to save up to get into the market for some time. The locals are obviously experiencing both inflation and frustration during this time. And just to kind of add this in as well, what is the GTA? Because there's an article here that says, this is from Simcoe.com, Collingwood is basically a suburb of Toronto. Real estate demand from GTA, a tsunami, says broker. We see this stretching especially in some cases to these areas that are like cottage countries and they've almost become part of the GTA in the speed by which people are leaving. So that's Toronto. But I want to look today because we've, we've covered Toronto's stats on what happened in January in the last couple episodes. You can go back and listen to that, but I want to cover Canada because we just got the stats for that. So we're going deep a little bit into stats. So pull out your pencils, right? Not pens, pencils. It's important. They're better. Very better. They're way better, especially when it comes to like things like crosswords. <laughs> Does that make me a racist? 
All right. Anyways, we all know there is one superior race before you start accusing me of anything. We all know this. NASCAR. Okay, guys. <laughs> Here are some of the stats for January. Canada wide. This is CP24. January home sales hit new record for the month as prices also post record high. We knew there were records in Toronto, but did you know there's records across the country? Uh, Korea said Tuesday, January sales were up. Sales, 35.2% compared with a year earlier and up 2% when compared to December. So month over month even, there's some growth. Hold your horses there because I do, I do want to see an opposing argument to this that maybe things aren't increasing as that number would show you. You'll see that in a second. But the increase came as the national sales to new listings ratio, the SNLR, rose to 90.7, the highest level on record. The previously, previous record was from 19 years ago at 81.5. That's significant. Now, if you don't know what a high SNLR is, the sales to new listing ratio, it pretty much just means we are in a very deep seller's market and we have high price increases coming. It's a, it's a leading indicator in a lot of ways. When we look at average prices across the country, the average price of a home sold soared up in January by 22.8% from the same month last year. So they answer the question as well in this article, why is supply so tight? And I think back during COVID, we were covering a lot of this. We were talking about it, but I think it's also kind of, it's kind of been overtaken by a lot of the stats. And, and so I think this is a perfectly good explanation for why. This is one of the reasons that we said that we would see and expect that we would see price increases. Listen to this. Korea said market conditions were pushed to record levels in January because people have held off putting their homes up for sale in the middle of the pandemic leaving fewer options for people to fight for. And now maybe we think, oh, well, pandemic's over, you know, things are reopening. I do think there's a nervousness that people have of having a bunch of randos coming through their property. And I think that that is a real impact that COVID has had that put further supply pressure in place. So Toronto Stories also had an article talking about these stats from Korea. Would-be homebuyers facing Canada's tightest real estate market on record. Korea says Canada has only, listen to this, 1.9 months of housing inventory available. The lowest reading on record for this measure. That means within two months, everything's gone, in and out. At the local market level, let's take this down to Ontario. Because you think Canada's crazy? Let's look around here. Some 35 Ontario markets were under one month of inventory at the end of January. Listen to this. Ben Ribadeau on Twitter. Flashback in Q4 2016 to Q1 2017. Oh, that was a fun time in Ontario. The last time prices were really ripping. Okay, this is, this is that date stamp. Average months of inventory and resale markets was 1.8 over that time. 1.8. Very similar to what Canada's experiencing. Average inventory seasonally adjusted was about 37,000 that were available. Today, months of inventory in Ontario is 0.9, less than one month across the province, and inventory is just over 20,000, almost half the supply. Ontario, if you think Canada is tight, Ontario is tighter. That's just the case. Will this stop, though, in the next double months? in the next double months. So it's the dead of winter. So the idea here is, is we're looking in the winter time, right? So listen to this. It's the dead of winter and we're only just starting to get the second wave of COVID. We're unlikely to see a rush of listings until the weather and public health situations improve. And we won't see buyers until those homes come up for sale. 
So continuing this conversation, if people don't really want to list their home in the middle of a pandemic, yeah, well, people don't really want to list their home in the dead of winter either. So if you think it's hot now in the winter months, you're not going to get any cooling off period in our market for the next few months. So I just want to share with you, I promise you some stats. Here we go. So let's look at some of the sold over asking numbers, okay? If you're a buyer, you've probably been in a bidding war recently. This is a Scott Ingram Twitter post. Last week, this is on a weekly basis, 69% of freehold houses sold for over the asking. 69%. Boy, oh boy. Eerily similar pattern to the early 2017 FOMO. Hopefully we don't reach 85% again. Hopefully that trend doesn't continue upwards. That is a ton of freeholds. But is it the same story in the condo space? Not exactly. In the 416 condos, they're not really acting the same way. Closer to 2018 and 2019 than the nutty 2017. But it is trending up. So we're going to have to keep our eye on that as well. I also came across this website, which I thought was really good. TorontoRealEstateCharts.com. Thank you for the post, man. I think this is fantastic. I want to share with you some of the kind of key things that are happening in the GTA from this post. And it's just charts. It just shows us what, what's really going on. So when we look at the annual change for average price, the number one average price change right now is in Ajax. This is specifically in the detached space. Ajax at 41% increase in price. Again, we got Whitby, Oakville, Oshawa, Brampton, and that kind of goes down from there all the way to the bottom, which is the city of Toronto's condos, which are down 8%. Again, this is as an average price. But if we look at benchmark price, which is based on the types, not just based on overall, we see that the number one price increase actually happened in Oshawa at 25, followed by Whitby, Milton, Burlington, da-da-da-da-da. The list goes down all of these over 20%. But... Condos, you're not negative. You're actually pretty much at flat at zero. So condos, not so exciting to be in when you're comparing to the detached market right now. The other thing that I'm noticing is months of inventory they had a chart for. Oshawa, Ajax, and Brampton all sitting at 0.5 months of inventory. 0.5. Your home is all but gone in two weeks. Almost certainly, right? Now, the city of Toronto condo sits at 1.4, but interestingly enough, city of Toronto detached is at 1.5. And you'll know if we've been following us the last few episodes, we've noticed this very quick downtrend in months of inventory for condos. There in that stat, you can see the condos, months of inventory have gotten to a point now where they're actually lower than the detached segment. No matter how you slice it, every month of inventory is low. Two months is extremely low. And when we take it into the 416 active listings, we see condos are still down for the 14th week in a row, but are actually up since Saturday. So is this a change in the pattern? Are we going to start to see maybe an increase in inventory in condos? For anyone that's saying, oh, there's a ton of condos coming online, possibly. We're going to talk about some of the reasons that could happen. But as of right now, for the 14 weeks in a row, they've been actually dropping. Whereas in the freehold space, there's actually an increase of 6.4%, interestingly enough. So it's actually beginning a slow climb. There's few more listings than 2020, but lower than recent norms, they say. All of these are overshadowed by massive sales. So don't think, oh, well, we've got an increase in inventory, therefore we're kind of, maybe we'll get some stability. No, th these are completely overshadowed when we look at the sales numbers. These stats are not to give you advice, and I hope they're not being written that way or worded that way, but hopefully they're helpful. Figuring out which investment is superior is not mine to make. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to suggest comforters would keep Texans warmer than quilts, but I don't like to make blanket statements. <laughs>
Now, I promised you I was going to give you the opposing argument. Better Dwelling is very good at this. So when we look, before we get our panties in a bunch talking about the January stats, let's, let's get a little swift kick in the butt. The numbers are getting so big, they say, it's going to be hard to scale sales from here. Listen to this. Last month, January's, 35% year-over-year change is a lot smaller than the December one, which was 47%. See, we see 35%. We're like, holy smokes, that's so high year over year. December was almost 50%. You guys will remember that. So we can look at it in any way, no matter how you slice it. Are things starting to calm down? I don't know. So I want to cover for you the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, best case scenario, in my opinion, is things slow down a bit as the article reads. The Bank of Canada, as well as other organizations, have forecast sales will soften in the coming months. They believe cheap money has motivated more detached home sales as a temporary trend. As the effect of cheap money fades, they see less buying. The Bank of Canada did also recently take their foot off the gas for cheap money. And we've covered that as well on our show, which should help with the fade. Now, side note, (laughs) don't you just hate a situation when you're picking up your bags at the airport and everyone's luggage is better than yours? And that's the worst case scenario. (laughs) Yeah, We're not covering any more worst case scenario. We're going positive here, guys. We're going to start talking about the vacant home tax. (laughs) I'm having fun, guys. I'm having some fun cracking these random dad jokes along the way. Okay, so how are investors reacting to the vacant home tax? Well, what the heck is the vacant home tax? Because maybe we haven't, you haven't been in an episode where we've covered this. I'll just give you the, the Coles notes on it. The tax on vacant homes is modeled after a similar tax in Vancouver implemented back in 2017. It's actually been very much praised. The levy adds now a 3% charge on the assessed taxable value of the homes that are not occupied within six months. So if there's nobody in there for six months, you get hit with this 3% tax. They recently increased it. It was actually sitting at 1.25. Now the city of Toronto is saying, hey, let's do it for 1%. And if we did do that, it could generate between 55 million to $66 million per year. Not bad for a municipality that's currently struggling could use the extra revenue. But how will investors react? That's what I want to cover today. It's becoming a bit of a war in the condo space, whether you should buy, hold, or whether you should sell. Who will win? We'll have to wait and see, right? That said, if it becomes hand-to-hand combat, we all know who would win. The army. (laughs) Uh, There you go. The army. That's funny. Speaking of army, (laughs) Irish line dancers have superior form, hands down. All right, so we're going to go to a blog TO article, talk about what investors are doing. More than two-thirds of condo investors in Toronto plan to sell due to a new vacant home tax. That headline is deceiving. You're going to see why in a minute. According to a recent survey conducted by TREB, residential property owners who may already be scrambling to sell off their investment properties in the city due to falling rent prices and high rental supply are also considering doing so to the tax they will soon have to pay on empty units. So what I think is important to mention here is, yes, what they're saying they're going to do, I think, is valid, but it's not all and only because of the empty home tax. And I think that's the way that these titles are kind of clickbaiting a lot of people. But listen to this, the stat. A total of 40% of those polled at the end of last year said they intend to sell their investment property in the next year, which is a 6% increase from 2019 and a 9% increase from 2018. More and more investors are planning on leaving the city. 
when looking at those who invested in condos specifically, that number becomes even more drastic with a whopping two-thirds of owners considering selling. And that's where you get this two-thirds figure that we're talking about. 28% of all respondents say they plan to rent long-terms if there's a vacancy tax. So when we dive more specifically, we see just under 30% of them would switch to long-term rentals. I guess the hope would be that they would all do that in order to support affordability in the rental space, but we're seeing about a third doing that. Another third, 30%, said they would not be impacted enough to change their plans due to the tax. Well, to those people, I would say, well, wait until that number is at 3% because I think that's just a natural progression of what this tax would do. But as mentioned at the beginning of this article, it's not just the vacant homes tax. There's other factors that are pushing investors to leave the city. Vlog TO, Toronto rents continue to plummet as one bedrooms reach lowest price in four years. Something we've been, matched, we've been following for months. A newly released report from Padmapper shows the median price of a one bedroom apartment is now $17.70 per month. That represents a 23% year over year decrease. Why are rents dropping. This is what I want to get out of this article too. Three reasons. Number one, people are leaving tiny downtown condos in search of larger, cheaper spaces. So we've got this working from home, this WFH trend that's taking over the, the world. Number two, border restrictions have also prompted a mass sell-off of short-term rental units. And if I were to add to that, we also have pressures that should be in place on a lot of these illegal Airbnb units, which we're going to cover some of that in a bit. Number three is a surge of new purpose-built rentals, which a lot of people are speaking to as being a problem, which is increasing supply in the market, contributing to now a 50-year high vacancy of 5.7% at the end of 2020. Vacancy rates are super high. Investors aren't just wanting to sell just because of the vacant home tax, but it is one more reason to, and that's kind of where I want to leave that off. Now, we're going to jump into some hot topics which is and sometimes my favorite part of the show. I think we have a lot of fun and get just really a ton of info in a really short period of time. But if you guys could, please like this video, bell for notifications, thumbs up, subscribe, join our investor list if you want to love me more and uh, get connected to some of these sweet deals we got coming out, off market and small to mid-sized apartment deals. Okay, now owning a home, owning a home in the GTA is like being a vegetarian. <laughs> you eat oatmeal for breakfast, and the rest of the day, you survive off your feelings of superiority. <laughs> but what options are available to those who are trying to convert? We got to encourage that activity, no? And I think there's two things. There's two options now. One is affordable housing. Now, I saw a really interesting article, which is why I want to put it in the hot topics from the star. The article reads, Unicorn helps open doors in Toronto housing market for middle income earners. The company you can research yourself if you want is called Options for Homes. Just to give you some insight on what this program is, as governments finally rally to the need for affordable housing in Toronto, there's a growing awareness that moderate income earners are being squeezed out of the market. They have too much to qualify. They earn too much to qualify for subsidized housing, but they struggle the same for a down payment. That missing middle, maybe? I don't know if it's the same definition, but there's absolutely this demographic that's getting caught. Options for Homes is considered one of the most viable models for helping to solve this problem. Its shared equity financing program has the potential to be scaled up for that middle, middle earner group. This reminds me very much of the, the 
Canada first-time homebuyer incentive program, but listen to how this works. Most affordable housing programs are geared towards helping renters, but options is among the few. The federal government and Daniels Corp also have programs that work on a shared equity financing model. So we're going to help you get in by providing this extra mortgage, this kind of second position mortgage. The option purchase process is similar to for-profit developers. You have to be pre-approved for a mortgage. You got to come up with 5% down. And they also intend to live in the home. So it needs to be a property you're moving into. And then qualified buyers then access a second loan of 10 to 15% of the purchase price through this options financing partner home ownership alternatives program. That's a mouthful. And you don't have to repay the second mortgage until you sell. And you also, because it's shared equity, you need to share 15% of the profit appreciation and value. And I would assume they would share in any depreciation in value. I don't know. They don't say that, but that's how the incentive program works. So perhaps, perhaps, and they say that that appreciation funds the program. So for those of you who are maybe kind of caught in this middle, this might be an option for you. I can't qualify for subsidized housing. I can't save for a down payment, especially when GTA prices are going up hundred thousand dollars a year. Maybe a program like this is an option. And I think we need more programs like this, but option number two, numero deux, is you ditch the city, man. Just get out of here. Run, run. Narcity.com, a London org is on a mission to convince you to ditch Toronto and it makes some good points. So there's an organization in London, Ontario has a simple message for Torontonians. They're, they're marketing to you. If you want to leave the big city, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> the website is called donttelltoronto.ca. And it's made by the London Economic Development Corporation. It's obviously a tongue-to-cheek approach to convince people to leave Toronto and settle down elsewhere. I think those are probably the two options that we have in front of us today. Maybe there's other ones, but it's really, it's an all-out war right now between Toronto and these neighboring cities. Should Torontonians fight or flight? I'll tell you one thing. If I'm ever in a fight, you better hold me back because I cannot fight. Now, I promised you were going to talk a little bit about Airbnbs. And a lot of the Airbnb message is really negative. It's kind of like, you have illegal Airbnbs. Find him. And the program is just kind of really not working. But not all Airbnbs are bad. BlogTO, new Toronto Airbnb hosts have earned more than $2.5 million since the pandemic first hit. This is maybe some good news of how short-term rentals can really benefit our city. A new report from short-term vacation rental platforms show new hosts have earned roughly 2.5 million collectively since the start of COVID. Quote, in an especially difficult time for working women who have been hardest hit by job losses during the pandemic, we estimate that 55% of these new hosts are women and they have collectively earned more than a half a billion dollars hosting on Airbnb since the pandemic started. So if you're doing it by the book, if you're doing it properly, maybe Airbnb is a valid option for you, even during COVID, during the pandemic. And I want to look at immigration. If you're going to uproot your family and move across the ocean, Canada seems like a pretty safe bet, at least in my mind. Speaking of which, (laughs) wouldn't gambling addiction hotlines do so much better if like every fifth caller was a winner? (laughs) Oh, that's so stupid. Now, Royal Bank of Canada, because we're talking about Will we hit our target of 400,000 immigrants this year? Well, RBC is not convinced. On February 14th, 16th, sorry, they had an article, Canadian Immigration Interrupted a Look Ahead into 2021. And they say immigration in 2021 is likely to see 275,000 new permanent residents falling short of the 401,000 target. That said, 
I did see a post from Zlan on Twitter speaking about international student enrollment in 2020, and the numbers are pretty similar to what they were last year. Now, since 2015, we saw a staggering increase in the number of new international students, but we didn't really see a big drop-off in 2020. Hopefully, this gives us some indication that people still want to come here for schooling and maybe stay a little bit longer with some of these new gov government handouts that are being given there and, and, and quickly allowing them to become a permanent resident. And then we got to talk about COVID before we get into our last topic here. There has been outcries right now from the mayor of Toronto to extend and uh, announce that we can stay closed longer because maybe this is a little premature with the variants. Well, I saw an article talking about how Ford government today on Friday is set to announce that we'll probably be able to delay that a couple extra weeks. So in the fight between health and the economy, health is winning at least as it relates to local Toronto businesses. There's a, there's a fine balance between health and getting business open again. Then again, I do think businesses have been very resourceful through COVID. Like, did you guys hear of that one baker who he like dominated the pastry business through determination and superior sugar content? He went all in buns glazing. <laughs> all right, let's get into our last topic. Let's get serious. Are housing prices outpacing jobs in Ontario? Yes, very much so. Let's talk about some of that. BMO senior economist Sal Guattieri, because I don't know how to pronounce that name, said, normally asset prices start to raise red flags when they consistently outrun growth in underlying income or earnings. But across much of Canada and notably Ontario, we've seen some of this, House prices are not only rising faster than family income, they are rising more than total annual income. Take Woodstock, for example, where benchmark prices are up a cool 118000 in the past year to January or up 31%. Not a bad year. While the median family income earned 86000 in 2018. Draw your own conclusions. People are making way more money on their real estate in their house than they're making before taxes, like their gross income. That is gross. So what's the employment situation right now in Ontario? Because employment is often a good indicator of what a real estate market will do. Is it not? At least it should be. So here's an article from Bloomberg. Ontario loses 355,000 jobs in 2020, single largest decline on record. Whew. Wow. How about that? It's like Sundays. Nothing feels better than spe spending all day laying around in your underwear, right? Now, constantly getting kicked off the subway, that's not so fun. But <laughs> In addition to the job losses, more than 765,000 Ontarians saw their work hours reduced. Not only people are losing their jobs, they're losing their opportunity to work. They're getting less money. And they say the hardest hit sector is no doubt the accommodation food services with over 110,000 job losses. Also, Impacted young workers, 15 to 24, saw the largest increase in unemployment with a jump of 22%. Man. And if you want to talk about specific cities in the GTA being impacted by this, Peterborough has lost 13.5% of their total jobs last year, 2020. We also see Windsor has lost 10.9% of their jobs. So there are a few cities in the GTA that have been pretty hard hit. And I think it requires us to look at things a little bit closer. We got to be monitoring this. NDP leader Andrea Horvath called, call Hor, it's Horvath, but it's with a W. I don't understand that. We're going to call her Horvath, okay? <laughs> called the job losses, quote, devastating. 
and they are devastating. She said the report should convince the government that it needs to help those most disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Just sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me. <laughs> if you don't, if you didn't hear about that, then that doesn't make any sense. But anyways, a lot of Doug Ford, come on, man. You can't say stuff like that. It's so sexist. So sexist. We all know women are superior. Uh, we, we men, we men are superior. <laughs> That's not funny. I'm, I'm, I'm picking the wrong side here. I can tell this is going to have, a, this is going to have some bad consequences for me. So is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I'm not going to leave off on that bad note. All these hundreds of thousands of jobs being lost on Ontario. Here's, here's a, here's some good news. I think we could all use a little good news this morning. Job postings on indeed.ca. So on indeed are ramping up. As of February 12th, total postings were just 1% below their early February 2020 levels. Most notably is momentum in new postings. Our new seasonally adjusted metric is now up 13%, by far its strongest pace since the start of the pandemic. There's a lot of people that have lost jobs, but there's also hopefully more and more jobs being available for people to be hired in. Hopefully jobs return to normal. Because that seems far more likely at this point than house prices doing it. Am I wrong? Anyways, I had some fun today. As we wrap up our episode today, please hit that like button. Show your support. Leave us a comment if you have anything to say. If there's any topics you want us to cover in future episodes. But thank you, thank you, thank you once again for tuning in so faithfully. I love our audience, man. We have the best audience on iTunes. Yes, some people tell us we have a superiority complex. But it's actually pretty simple. They're just too dumb to comprehend it. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there, guys, and I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.